Hello, welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hey, Guthrie. And I'm putting you in charge of introducing our fabulous guest today. Yeah, we have a really special guest. This is Dean Barker. And Dean is the Vice President of User Experience for United Health Group. And he uh, leads the Optum Design Studio there at United Health Group. Uh, that's one of his many hats that he wears. I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot of other, all the hats. And also, he's a, uh, a dear, dear friend of both you and I, Guthrie. So, you know, a lot of times when we have guests on, um, it sometimes, I, like, we we don't know them. They're new people. This is not one of those times. Dean's an old friend. So, <laughs> welcome, Dean. You can Susan. say hello. Yeah. Guthrie, hello, welcome. Am I I'm guessing I am the first guest that you've had that actually babysat for Guthrie. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Is that, that is true. Is that actually true? That's yes. actually true. There's a first. Yes. I okay. don't think we've had anyone else on that's babysat for you. Well you we've had some people on that you go pretty far. We've had back some with. people on that I've known for a long time. But not anyone who <laughs> babysat. <laughs> yes, that is absolutely true. So obviously, um, we go back a long ways. Either that or Guthrie is really young and uh, is not even out of school yet. Um, yeah, Dean, we've known each other a very, very long time. And we've done all kinds of cool projects together. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll... I'll uh, I'll just mention a few of them that, and then you can see if you have any different memories. I mean, we've written a book together. Mm-hmm. We've um, created a. I always forget uh, about that one. Oh, thanks, Guthrie. <laughs> <laughs> in in defense, in defense, that was a long time ago. It was ago. a long time. What's ago. the name of the book? What's the uh, name it's of designing the book? designing effective speech interfaces. That's right. And we've also created, we created a user-centered design process together. Do you remember that? We did, and we should actually talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it was fun, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. I was, I think I mentioned to you that I was uh, putting together my studio, uh, just actually just this afternoon. Your, and your was, studio at home, not your... My home, yeah, my home studio. Yeah. And uh, so it's a... Uh, but one of my hats is as a musician, it's got nothing to do with our, our field. But uh, so I've got a, a music studio and home office that I'm just getting set up sort of after some COVID related uh, remodeling. Uh, anyway, I found this box with all these old tubes. Of different posters? posters yes you remember the posters posters so of our of our user-centered design process i have i have the interface five process <gasps> and i have the compuware processes that preceded it yes from when we started working together in yes. what the early 90s or whatever it yeah. was how fun is that yeah interface Amazing. five it was a good name it was a good name. Yeah, it was it a was. great product. It is a great product. Uh, Dean, I don't know if, if if you know this. Maybe I told you this at one point, but um, not super recently. But a while, just a, not. But you know, in the last like two years, um, we were going through you know some of the old files that she had. Mm-hmm. You know, because we have like backups on backups and you know old hard <clears> drives and stuff sitting around. 
And uh, so we ran into the the, uh, the interface five documentation. Mm-hmm. All still works because it's it, all it H- a, it's HTML. HTML. Yeah, HTML five. Oh wow. And it all, all the links worked and everything. It was like, look at that. So you can pop it open even today after 10, 15, 20 years. Open it up in a web browser, works and just fine. it's all there. That's amazing. It, it have, was a... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it was a very solid process. And that was sort of in the, in the heyday of the era of what was then user-centered design. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've talked about reviving it. Yeah. I I have to tell you, I still have I still get emails from people asking if they can they haven't asked to buy more posters, but I don't know if you remember, but we used to also provide, you know, it was all, it was on HTML as we mentioned, mm-hmm. and there were posters, but we also had like a binder that I used in the workshops. Yeah. And uh I've had people contact me over the last couple of years and ask did could they buy some more binders? <laughs> And then I was like, wow, you're still using that? You know? <laughs> that's that's pretty amazing. You know? Yeah, that was I that think, was very fun. I think we should revise it and then not only yeah. should we do the, the binders, we should do t shirts and coffee mugs and bumper <laughs> stickers. Just all I the like merchandising. It. All the merch. Get the That's merch right. going. <laughs> so Dean, uh we yeah, we've worked together in very at, at while we were at various companies, um, we've kept in touch. Uh, we saw you last uh, about uh, a year and a half ago when we came out to the speak at the UXPA conference that was in the Phoenix area, and that's that's where you're located now. And uh, but I do want to, you know, and we and I I know we've we could probably talk for like five hours, but we won't do that to people on the podcast, but we will be talking about all kinds of stuff, I'm sure. But before we get into all that, I also, you know, you've, you've got some uh, pretty great credentials too. So can we just mention that like, you know, degrees and, you know, experience and, 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 you, you know, you have this job VP of user experience that, for United Health Group and so on, but you also like you teach. You you've been teaching college a little bit, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, in addition. So can you just take a minute and just kind of talk about about your your creds? My creds, my bona fides. Yeah. Your um, cre- yeah. Well, well, I start. You know, it's funny because, um, of course, back when I was coming up and. In uh, the early years, there wasn't really much of a direct route into this field and into this industry. You didn't go to school for it. Like, it sort of amuses me now that there are degrees in user experience. You know what I mean? Um, So when I... Yeah, it didn't exist. What's that? It didn't exist. It it didn't exist. No, no, not at all. And, you know, so so folks like you, uh, who who really were the, the kind of the foundation of the field, generally came from a, a cognitive psychology background. And when I came up, um, I, <laughs> I didn't even start in, in the industry, for one thing. I started as a, as a musician and went to the conservatory and went to music school and then went on the road. And, and then when I uh, kind of learned that that wasn't much of a way to make a living, I, I went back to school and got a business degree. 
and I got involved in computers, primarily from a training perspective. So my kind of proto-professional career was was computer training. Um, and then ultimately, <clears throat> when I was living in Minneapolis, I went to the University of Minnesota and got a master's uh, in uh, software engineering. Um, but by that time, you know, I was sort of a mid-career already and ultimately ended up teaching in that program. Um, my, my mentor at the university had decided to, uh, to semi-retire, so they asked that I take over the, the course there. And because my company is headquartered in Minnesota, I'm, I'm there quite a bit, at least pre-COVID. Uh, so I was actually for, for a year commuting to teach at the University of Minnesota. Uh, and then uh, this, the subsequent year, got a position at ASU and, and left U of M because of the because of the commuting. It was just a little ASU bit much. ASU is? Uh, Arizona State University. So yeah. that's the hometown university here. So similar sort of yeah. thing I teach in the engineering department. And what I was teaching at, at Minnesota was, it was called GUI design. And it's basically the UCD process like we were just, like we were just talking about. And then the course I teach now is an undergraduate human computer interaction course, which has been, uh, it's been fun, you know, from your teaching experience and training experience and everything else, just what you get out of teaching is as much the learning process as anything. So for me, it, it's in part an opportunity to, to give back. It's in part, given my day job, a opportunity to kind of stay sharp in certain things because, you know, basically now I run a business. That's, that's my day job. It's got less to do with design than I might like. Uh, and it's an opportunity to really dig into, um, you know, the theoretical aspects, right? So I get to read a bunch of articles on signal detection theory and try and teach it. And that helps me just from a, uh, from an intellectual standpoint. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of a cross rough that goes back and forth, I think, between the business and teaching. So there will be things, for example, um, you know, there was some stuff that we were working on in terms of trying to create an effective or emotional design uh, evaluation at work that then I took some of the stuff that we were talking about and, and took the background resources and took that list of background resources uh, into a lecture, right? So some of the citations and things like that. Um, so that's one way that the information flows in terms of that relationship between the two. And then other ways uh, we had, I had been doing some teaching where I was using the cognitive walkthrough method, which is not real well known and it's kind of gotten, you know, lost over the years, but I think is a really, a really strong methodology for, if you will, discount usability engineering like Nielsen used to talk about. And uh, it's something that seemed to particularly uh, resonate with the engineering students. And so took that into my practice at work and we started doing it and, uh, and it's gone over very well. So uh, I, like the, I like the relationship between uh, teaching and a professional career, although, you know, it's challenging just in terms of keeping up on all of it, of course. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how much you can or want to, and, and if you don't want to, it's fine. But I don't know how much you can or want to talk about, you know, the, the job of 
being VP of user experience for United Health Group. Uh, if you can or want to talk about it, I'm just kind of, you know, that's, <laughs> it's such a, I mean, United Health Group is a huge company. It it's is, a yes. Huge company. And so I would think that, you know, the, there's just got to be constant challenges uh, and rewards, but also challenges of doing, you know, UX work and of leading UX work mm -hmm. at a company of that size. And I don't know if you, you know, if you can or want to talk about some of the, you know, challenges that 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 brings to, you know, how, how do you do that at a company that big? How do you, yeah, you know, what is the role of UX and how do you how do you lead that? You know, how many people are in your quote UX group? Well, in my group, uh, we've got about 160. Uh, we think there are about 300 total in the enterprise. Uh, as you said, it's a huge group. We're Fortune 5 or 6 or something now, $240 billion company. Um, and so it's just huge. And we're not exactly centralized. We're sort of quasi-centralized. Uh, and so I'm on the technology side. Uh, but we have various pockets of other user experience groups sometimes they kind of pop up you know whack-a-mole like within the technology <laughs> organization right and and so uh it's the whole idea of like frenemies you know what i mean like you've got these weird relationships where the the other groups that pop up or uh they're both because we we have a services model we we bill for our time, right? It's like I run an agency basically. And so these other groups end up basically being clients and competitors simultaneously, right? Um, and some are in different parts of the organization and some are firewalled for various reasons. But, um, but we're, the, we're the largest by, I don't know, by some exponential factor. Um, and so as a result, we carry a lot of the kind of enterprise functions as a center of excellence. Um, while there are other staff that do UX work across the company. Uh, and so we kind of lead a community community of practice. There are some things that we do on an exclusive basis for the enterprise. So, for example, one of our uh, functions or lines of business that we have uh, is accessibility. We've got a large accessibility group, about 40 people. And, uh, and so, you know, we provide a number of enterprise functions. We have a, a UI framework. Uh, that we create, which is both a design system and a component library. Uh, and there are a number of products that run on top of that. Um, and that goes back to, you know, some work we did way back in the day together with my fascination for UI patterns, right? Um, I've had an opportunity for that to really come to fruition in my professional life, even after studying it for years and, and dealing with it academically. So it's, it's an interesting, um, environment to work in because it is it is basically a marketplace right it's it's kind of a it's a marketplace of sorts within the enterprise and we have clients and we have effectively the function of sales and marketing and and operations which we've taken some of the you know from the rosenfeld book the design ops some of those some of those concepts into our operations and so we fully support this uh, self-contained design group 
Um, and we are cross-functional. So I've got a cadre of designers. We've got a small dedicated uh, user research team that does most of the quantitative research. Um, we, prior to COVID, we're in the facilities business. We've got gorgeous uh, usability testing facilities in Minneapolis and Boston. They're closed now um, due to the pandemic, but, but we were doing quite a bit of, of lab work uh, for a period of time. Um, we've got the accessibility group, as I mentioned, we've got the UI frameworks, um, you know, we're, we're sort of involved in all the things that, that you could possibly be involved in from a UX standpoint. So from that perspective, um, it's really, it's really interesting and it's, uh, you know, I'm just delighted to have the opportunity. I feel very blessed to have the opportunity to lead the group and to be involved in all of those things. Cause there's never a dull moment for sure. And just the industry that we work in, I mean. Obviously, it goes without saying, I suppose, but healthcare itself is vitally important, and uh, it's a mission-driven um, enterprise, trying to make the health system work better for everyone. And in a digital economy, uh, obviously, user experience, HCI, human factors, however you want to think of this, um, it's really a very important consideration for doing that. And so, um, so it's it's been a great run. I've been there for nine years. I built the I built the practice when they hired me nine years ago. I was the first uh, UXer, if you will, <laughs> in the yeah, company. That's kind, of, that's kind of crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, my boss and I talk about that all the time because I was actually his first hire. Um, and when they brought me in, they said, your mission is to uh, figure out what the appetite is for user experience and build a team to support it. And so nine years later, 160 people and some f- splinter groups, you know, so we've had some people uh, leave our group and start teams within the enterprise and they're sort of adjunct and affiliated now. Um, so it's been great. It's been, it's been a good run. It's not without its challenges. You know, I would say, um, that one of the things that is interesting about that career progression is at a certain point in that progression, my job, uh, basically ended up having nothing to do with user experience or HCI, which is part of the reason that I teach because it really does come a, become a matter of running a business. You know, I have all the HR things and budget things and communication things and all of those things to deal with. And, and the most fun part of my week is whenever I get to go to a design review and do a design critique and participate in that, or I, you know, I get an opportunity to look at a, a research plan or some research results and, kind of dig into those things and um i, I really look you forward don't get to those, to do those that. you don't get to do that as often now as you used to no. as i would think no no i kind of actually look for excuses to do that sort see, of see this is what happens when you're successful then you don't get to do the work you like to do sometimes right well that's exactly it and you know you you end up out of need having to deal more with the, the business end of things, which has been good. I mean, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've got a, a business degree and I've got a, I had my own firm for a few years, very much a small scale kind of thing. But um, there's a lot that I like about that aspect of it. But for me, I am most intellectually interested in and intellectually curious, frankly, in the, uh, in kind of the theoretical aspects of HCI, although all the, you know, the practice and methods are interesting too. Um, but you know, those haven't changed a whole lot over the years. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So if you could if you could wave a magic wand and and you know get to do something, uh, introduce a new idea into into the organization or you know, I don't know, hire different people or I mean just anything. If you could if someone would say, Dean, what is it you really want to do that's new or different here at United Health Group? Like what what would you say? Do you have any idea? You know, I think it is um I'd like to get to a level of maturity. It's not just at our company. You see this in the industry. I'd like us to get to a level of maturity where we could do the advanced stuff. All right. right? What do you, what do you, what, what counts as the advanced step? Well, I think, I think it's a matter of, from a design perspective, um, you know, it's a lot of kind of basic blocking and tackling and just trying to get that into the product development ecosystem, right? So, for example, uh, if, you, you know, you go back to the process discussion, we don't get to do all the things, right? And, and why don't we get to do all the things? Because we live in the real world where there are resource constraints and budget constraints and you know, you can't get the right staffing and, you know, the, time the project timeline. Yeah. Absolutely. All of all of those things. So, you know, the magic wand would be you, you get to do all those things so that you could get the best outcomes that you want to get. That, that would be one thing. But then even in the course of doing those things, um, you know, if you think of that as kind of the breadth of things that one could do from a UX method perspective, then the depth in each one of those uh, so, for example, take the, you know, kind of the classical usability testing, the extent to which you're using lightweight methods versus, for example, right, or having traction theory, having practitioners who are, who are employing some of those concepts. Um, you just, you don't get to do a lot of that. And so... Um, you know, you see the results in that across the industry, right? Like we've had this conversation before. Um, design theater. When you're <laughs> when you're thinking about design and you're trying to come up with bad examples, there's no shortage, right? Like, give me an example of something that you found difficult to use or frustrating or whatever. Anybody you talk to, either in the field or a layperson or whatever, can come up with a a dozen examples of those. Now, great. Give me a give me a good example of design, right? There there are very few of those. They're they're hard to come up with, and I think it speaks to the the lack of maturity in the industry across the board. Yeah, yeah. Well, so one of the things that I've I think I've noticed um, just generally, and maybe it's a follow up question, is I do think that the a lot of the companies that we work with, they are so constrained. They're just infinitely constrained. They never have enough um, developers. They don't have enough development time. And what they what they really don't have is they don't have enough UXers doing... Um, I, I forget the phrase that I used, but it, it was sort of just like the, like the uh, rolling up your sleeves, basic, like, just 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 the ba the basic level building blocks um 
maybe like the UX grunt work would maybe be like another way to say it. Mm-hmm. And there just seems to be this enormous, um, impossible, like just this, the amount of that kind of work that is out there is seems impossible and never ending in most of the companies uh, that we you know, that we've talked to. And one of the problems that we really face is sometimes they have like really smart, really talented people. And the, the, the organization is like, hey, we need you to do really simple stuff because that's like the stuff we need to get out of the door. And so all a lot of like the fun higher level projects and initiatives and um, all that stuff, it just, it would, they never get to it. And by the time you would even get close to thinking about getting to it, it, the, the next project is already behind. Um, so, I mean, I, I am seeing that in like every single organization and I'm not sure that it's ever going to stop. So I don't know <laughs> if you have uh, different thoughts about how, how that, how the, uh, get off the, get off the roller coaster. Well, I don't know how to get off the roller coaster. Um, I think you're right. And I think it's a universal um, and I would make two comments about it. One is I think that there's um, there's a talent challenge, right? I was going to call it a problem. It's not really a problem. It's just there's so much work um, that you can't get enough high-grade talent. You can't get enough talent, right? So it's, it's hard enough to hire to fill roles. Um, but if you think about the quality of talent, then it becomes even harder, right? So there's this great article. I should try and dig it out. Um, It was, I think the title was something like God Bless the C Players. And it was a Harvard Business Review article from forever ago. And it talked about sort of the value of needing various grades of players. You you can't always have an all-star team. And like the organization that I run, we've got a bunch of amazing people, but we've got pretty good scale. I think, yeah. and uh, it, I, it's, it's also interesting, I, it's, it's so, um, when the Twin Cities especially, you know, we've done, um, we've done, you know, various sort of workshops and keynotes with different UXPA organizations or other sort of professional e-organizations, and one, mm-hmm. of the, one of the things I've definitely found about the Twin Cities in particular is that there are a lot of, um, um, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's not just, I don't, it's not like insulting or anything. I just, there's a lot of like people from like the Bemidji states of the world. You know, it's not all like Harvard and Stanford. Okay, wait, and, wait. We have to, we have to back up a little because first of all, some of the people listening are not from the state, from the United States. So they may not know Twin Cities. So Twin Cities mm. refers to Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul, two yes. cities right next to each other in the state of Minnesota. Yes. Okay. And then your Bemidji comment. Okay. <laughs> We'll, we'll 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 redo it. I'll take it out. I'll take it out. No, no, you don't have no, to. I no, just think no, you no, need no, to no, no. explain what Bemidji, what that Bemidji means. Bemidji is a wonderful city. Yeah. That I cannot yeah. spell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is in northern Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, it's just not a big urban area. So if you're from Bemidji, you're not. It's not part of this huge urban area where there's going to be. Uh, a lot of UX people who are coming out of master's degrees, like you know Carnegie Mellon or Georgia, mm-hmm. right? That's what you yeah. mean. 
But is that okay, what you meant? so so that brings up a great point though, because uh, without naming places, which you know, <laughs> and getting in trouble with more people yeah, as we go along. Well, because I had this conversation because we have a we have a, a um, an internship program basically, and uh, and I sort of didn't make any friends by giving a professional opinion about what we're seeing of people coming out of schools. I, I would submit that by and large, the people that come out of school are not, they're not ready. They're not ready to be in professional situations. And, and well, I guess what I'm- Wait, when you say come out of school, are you talking about undergraduate or master's level or what? Um, you know, both. I mean, there are master's programs. We've had some, um, we've had some really good hires uh, recently, for example, out of the Purdue program. Yeah. And and maybe the UX programs are more practical, right, than some of the general human factors programs, for example. Um, but but it's been a challenge and part of it is it gets back to one of the one of the key issues of maturity in the industry, I think. Um, there's another great book. It's it's UX Team of One, if you remember sure. that Le one. Leah Bewley. There you go. And and I think that that really represents probably the majority of what goes on in our field right and so you know you think about you think about the choreography or the mechanics of how a project works you have some poor student who comes out of undergrad they get a job and then you know let's say generally they don't work in a super large team like i have they might work in a 10 or 15 person team and often they're going to get thrown into a project where they're the only one doing the ux work and you know based on what experience and with what support and so it's it's really challenging, and I think that the the schools, from a professional training perspective, don't do enough to prepare. And I'm thinking designers particularly. I, I've had better success on the research side, uh, but they don't do enough to prepare students for practical design work. You know, it's like you come in and they they say, "Well, my my senior thesis was all about VR, whatever, whatever, whatever." kind of really cool stuff and it's like great we've got three sprints to create all these wireframes and ship right it's a it's a different kind of process it's you know i don't know real world kind of stuff yeah. so i think it does depend on the school and it does depend on the classes and unfortunately i you know because i um dean i think you know and i think maybe we've mentioned on this on our podcast before. I'm an adjunct uh, professor also at one of the University of Wisconsin campuses. I not teach. in Bemidji. Not in Bemidji. Bemidji is not in Wisconsin, Dean. No, you know I that. Uh, anyway, I teach usually a course a semester and um, and you know it's it's it kind of depends on who's teaching, you know. And I, I just, I think, I don't know, you know, I see the, the I know the courses that the students are taking. Uh, it's hard, it's hard for them to get enough, even if they're, that's their major, you know, it's hard to, for them to get enough courses in their major, you know? Well, oh, for sure. Well, and how much can you teach in a, in a given well, semester. Well, I can teach That's a lot. <laughs> of course you can, yes, absolutely. I would say that, you know, when I was coming out of law school, um, 
I heard the exact same thing that the kid the the the, the kids who were coming out of law school were not ready they did not have the practical experience needed to hit the ground and be doing like, you know, like the, if you're if you get out of law school and you start working for some nonprofit somewhere, like here you go, here's ten cases, like good luck. And you, you know these are yeah. these are kids who, okay, you did a little internship where you you know wrote some fancy papers for a law journal, but like actually like being in the corporate world, handling, you know. A, being on a team and what your expectations are, um, that's that stuff. Uh, it, it it's interesting because I don't think that's a UX only thing because I've been hearing the same stuff about law students yeah. for the last five six but years. But I think as well. if you okay, but I I guess I have strong feelings about this because because I teach and I've had some wonderful wonderful students. I mean, just just amazing students over the years that. I've been really impressed with, you know, because University of Wisconsin, the campus I teach at, you know, I don't teach in Madison at the main campus. I'm teaching at right. one of the other campuses. And, you know, it's it's not a, a top 10 school in the nation or anything. I've been really impressed with the students, with how smart they are, how hard they work, how quickly they learn. And I understand what you guys are saying, I do. But I, I, I'm a real advocate. I wish, I wish more companies, and I know it's a, it's a lot, it's a huge investment of time. And it, and it, and it comes with it a lot of risk. And maybe, you know, you, if, you, if you put in a lot of time and energy and money into putting together a great onboarding, you know, uh, uh, first year program, then, you yeah. know, then they're going to leave. You know, there's that aspect. Okay, like we trained them for two years and now they're out of here. I mean, there's all of that that you got to worry about. But on the other hand, I just think there is a really, you know, I, I'm going to make a plug for the undergraduate talent pool out there that really wants to get a job. And, you know, in in uh, where I live in central Wisconsin, there are many, there are many, no, there's some companies here that have been taking the graduates from our pro you know the program I teach at for dozens of years and they've put together a whole training program and a lot of times yeah. the the students stay and it's been a win-win for everybody but I know it takes a lot of work and well and I th I think that's the problem is that because every organization is just so resource strapped like they're they're all so behind. Like the one thing that I I, I think I could be wrong uh, is the idea that okay we have a new hire we're gonna take a bunch of people and let's slow them down to help train this new hire and like just do baby steps and we're gonna you know, like they yeah. like they need they need like bodies in the uh, in yeah, the factory. You know why you know why I think it happens it happens around here maybe more than other places. Uh, this is central Wisconsin. If you don't take those graduates and train them, you have no one. <laughs> okay? No one. Yeah. There are very few people who are willing to pick up and move to the frozen wasteland that right. is central Wisconsin where it's minus 20 degrees and it's, you know, a small town in a rural area. I mean, you're, you, you know, you, you may have a shot 
acting at, at recruiting and getting people I know Minneapolis is as cold as it is here but at least it's a city you know and I, it's really hard it's really hard to get experienced people here so I think they are more willing because otherwise they have no one that's my <laughs> guess Susan, what you touched on about corporate training programs that we have in our company of recent graduates that go through various rotations, and we're just now starting to develop some partnerships where we're recruiting specifically from design-related programs. So I think that's going to be very beneficial. Um, but we also have a corporate university, and that corporate university has various colleges, one of which is one that we run called the College of Experience Design. And so you mentioned earlier, like we've been working together forever in various ways. I don't know, two years ago, something like that. I think we licensed some courseware from you when we started this program, right? And it was basically the UCD process. And so, so we use that and that's part of our core training. We've recently done something similar with Mark Stickdorn uh, for service design as we've started mm. to roll out service design as a methodology as well. And so I think that the, one of the necessary components of success for talent is talent development and having these kinds of corporate training programs. We've been very bullish on training. Uh, we have a professional development program that we run where we run everyone through uh, soft skills training and through technical training. And we do invest pretty heavily in that. And that's a big deal. And that's one of the ways that you get the outcomes. I don't believe students are quite ready for prime time when they come out of school, but one of the ways that you can get them ready is, is through this. But then for every hiring opportunity you have, the second point I would make is that it's, it's really challenging for hiring managers because what do you do when you have one position to hire for and you can either hire somebody right out of school or you hire somebody with you know three to five years of experience roughly the same salary. You'll see some differences in salary. Um, but, you know, even if you invest a little more in salary, you get more out of that. It's hard to be the one to take the hit for that person getting their, you know, their yeah. first job. I, I know what, um, one, one last thought about all these points. The, just because of the, the raw need, I, I know a number of organizations we work with, um, some of their sort of, I don't want to say, best and brightest, but uh, people who have really fit in well and have sort of hit the ground running have been uh, people who were in a different role in the company. And, you know, maybe they were, you know, project manager or something, or they were a developer, or they were in, you know, mm -hmm. business strategy, sales, or marketing. And they're like, oh, UX, this is kind of cool. And they, you know, so then they kind of get some basic training and they transfer over. And those seem to be the people that um, better than the new hires usually that really seem to fit because they have all the soft skills. They understand the industry. They understand mm -hmm. how to navigate stuff. They maybe bring in um, some expertise in some areas that maybe, uh, you know, a, a different designer might not have. And they just, they just, those, uh, they don't realize uh, how slow or fast things are supposed to go. So they just they just sort of fit right in to whatever the org is trying to do. So I, I think a lot of companies have had success with that. And yeah, obviously that internal training has been, I think, really important. Well, it's funny you say that. The um, One of the f first, um, 
I guess, really serious jobs that I had was at a company called CompuWare, which was a major player back in the day in the commuter industry and in their professional services division, which was the consulting group that I was in. Susan, that's where I was working when we first I know, I remember. Um, it was way back in the day. Uh, they, they, had, um, they had these resource managers that uh, one of the things they would say is that they always recruited on the basis of soft skills and the position being, we can teach you how to code or whatever. We're not in the business of teaching you how to communicate or how to deal with people or, or whatnot. And so that technical training is, is where it becomes really viable. And, and I'll tell you one place where we've had tremendous success with that is in our accessibility program. Um, that's a really hard hire. You, you, it's hard to do accessibility work at scale. There's just not enough people in the industry with experience or even knowledge to, to do accessibility work. And so we have a, a thing that we call our Grow Your Own program, where we have a pretty robust training program uh, to create accessibility specialists who come from you know, development backgrounds and, and product manager backgrounds and UX backgrounds and whatever other background. Uh, and it's been very successful. Um, but, you know, that's taking people who have those skills, as you said, and the, the corporate acumen and teaching them very specific technical skills. Okay, I'm going to switch topics. Where are we going? Go for it. Is that all right? Where are we going? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Let's do it. You mentioned uh, uh, Leah Bewley's book, UX Team of One, which is one of my favorite books in the field of UX. <laughs> So I would like, and I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question, and I hate it when people ask me these questions. So now I get to do it to you. But what are some of your favorite, quote, old books and some of your favorite new books? That's a great question. Um, favorite old books. Okay. you got to give me a second to think about some of this here. There was one... Um, that I particularly loved, and I'm spacing out on the author's name. I have to think about it. Uh, it designing, about? it was designing visual interfaces. Kevin Mullet, and I forget the other guy. Kevin Mullet. A, wow. Do you remember that him? was an old one? I do remember that. Here, I'm going to so, look it up. I'm going to look it up while we're talking. Let's yeah. See so if it was. Fits. Wow. That's designing, an but yeah, designing visual interfaces. Kevin Mullet and uh, I can't remember the other author's name, but um, it was just a great. Daryl Sano. Daryl Sano. Sano. That was the other guy. Yeah. Um, I I would assume it's out of print. Maybe it's not out of print. Oh, it's got to um, be out of print. It goes all the way back. Here, I'm looking it up. It goes. But it was back to 1994. Okay, well, that's that's a pretty modern book as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> but you can buy it used. Yeah, well, that's what I tell people about our book. You know, it's like, it's funny. <laughs> so let's let's come back to your book question. Uh, maybe I'll get up and go to my bookcase and see if I can find something fun. Uh, but that's what I tell people about our speech book. You know, there were two chapters in that book that really transcended um, – speech interfaces yeah one was they the didn't have to chapter. do with speech interfaces yeah yeah one was the process chapter right yeah and um 
the process chapter was basically a version of interphase five that we right. mentioned earlier. And then the other, which is actually, if you Google it, we've gotten tons of press on this, the, uh, the heuristics. <laughs> I know people love the heuristics. And, and I don't know that we've ever captured the story, but I'll, I'll tell my version of it. And then let's come back to books. Um, so we were talking about the principles that would be kind of first principles for design that you could use for purposes of evaluation and, and designing interfaces. And the theory being that there are some basic human-centered principles that transcended, whether it was visual or, or uh, speech interfaces or whatnot. And so we looked at kind of the usual suspects, you know, Nielsen's heuristics and whatnot, and didn't feel that they were complete, Schneiderman, I think. So we did a little mini research project. You had, you had this gorgeous office at the firehouse or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. And, and this huge library. And we went through the whole bloody thing. And we <laughs> went through dozens of books all the, you know, the Apple Human Interfaces guidelines, and the Microsoft Windows on, uh, guidelines. Cards. We did. We did a card sort. We did a ginormous card sort. I remember this. And then we, and then we, we grouped them, and then we okay. sort of normalized and rationalized the language, and we came up with actually we came up with nineteen, but we felt like we had to figure out a twentieth. Yeah, so yeah. Nineteen was just too weird. Yeah. You couldn't say the top 19 things. Uh, and I remember one of the, one of the things that I was, you know, particular about was parallel construction. Yeah. Right? Cause that's something that drives me nuts. About this is a very Dean Barker thing. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, you know, you've got a set of things that you're going to treat as rules and some of them are arbitrarily framed as positive and some as negative, you know, that's, that makes me nuts. So, so we were very, uh, particular in the the consistency for the way we form them, uh, and I think it was a great set of heuristics. We actually use. I've trained my team. We actually use that for our heuristic evaluations. Yeah, it, and it is it is funny. It does. I mean, I see that pop up on LinkedIn, and people tweet about the the Weinshank Barker heuristics. <laughs> there you go. And uh, I think that's fun. Yeah, and you know, I I do want to. <laughs> I mean, I ha I have both happy and frustrating memories of you and I sitting in that in what was a beautiful office, which you know I subsequently sold that building, so I don't have it anymore. But mm -hmm. um, and we would just argue whether it was about the heuristics, <laughs> and the other thing was about when we were putting together the U UCD methodology interface yes. five. Oh yes. my gosh, we almost came to blows. <laughs> about whether this particular point of the process belonged to this phase or the other phase. Right. I, I remember that. Um, but it was, you know, it was good work. And I, I think, yeah. and we were really, we were really getting deep into it. And I feel like we were really blessed with the opportunity to take the time to, to work on that in a way that we felt was comprehensive. Because I think so often yeah. you don't, you know, because of the things we were talking about with time constraints and budget constraints and, you know, if you're doing work for a client and um, all of that, and even just if you have your own business, you don't always take the time to dig in and, 
and you know explore and do it do it the give it the time and attention that you that you think it should and and I do remember um the work that you and I did together as being you know one of those wonderful moments in time when when you kind of dig in but yeah we didn't always agree Dean I got to say yeah. we didn't always agree all right no, any but- other old books that you want to mention anything else come to mind well, for sure. And I'll just say on that, that topic and, and how important it is for people to take the time to do those sorts of things every now and then, which is one of the reasons that I, I really am bullish on uh, grad school and I push my senior staff who want to be leaders into grad school is that you need to go deep sometimes, right? That's hugely important for the industry, for your own intellectual growth. Um, is it Cal Newport, the book Deep Work? Um, I think... I think that's it, Newport. Anyway, you, you need to engage in deep work, and you're right, we were blessed to do that. So yeah. I'm always grateful for those opportunities. Uh, old books. So the, you know, the Mullet and Sano book, that was just, I, I love that because it was um, very practical. It had sort of key ideas for, for design, like perception and alignment, repetition, contrast, you know, those sorts of like, first principles as a designer and it was a it was a slim volume yeah um i I really liked that book you know some of the uh, i don't know classic stuff that i came up with maybe was of a time but uh nielsen's usability engineering methods the Mm -hmm. the inspections method Mm -hmm. yeah um uh, book i think were good on the hci front uh, you know, I've, we had this conversation before the textbook conversation. Right? Yeah. Like, but that's brutal. Um, yeah. I think probably the best sort of one semester HCI textbook is still the Jenny Priest book, Human Computer Interaction. But that's that's long out of print, and right. there's not there's not a good one that's that's really I think come up and and taken its place. Okay. Next question. Probably last question. All right. What, before we started recording, you said, ask me about Harry Potter. Oh, the Harry Potter thing. Yeah, well, it's related to your question about old books. There's, okay. this great, um, there's this great quote in one of the Harry Potter films uh, where Voldemort says, it was old magic and I was foolish to forget it or something like that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, but one of the things that strikes me is that there's a lot of, if you will, old magic in our field, meaning concepts, techniques, methods that have practically gotten lost. Like nobody talks about them anymore. Nobody's doing them anymore. Give, me, think give to, me an example of one. Well, I'll give, you a, I'll give you an example that cuts across functions beyond UX, and that's the notion of analysis. Right. So, for example, you used to have in a uh, waterfall world, which I know is a dirty word for for most people, but you had a a process flow of requirements, analysis, design, build, test. Right. And in an agile world, which it squarely is now, you have a means of requirements, which are user stories typically. Right. And you don't have any place for design, but that's where we come in. You know, we come in and we kind of figure that out in various ways. And of course, building is still alive and well because it's a it's a developer, you know, by developers for developers kind of process. But nowhere in that is there a proper place for what we used to think of as analysis, which is where the deep work of system development happened, right? 
that's where the deep work happened. And so you get requirements, you get kind of a half-baked version of design, you get plenty of build, the testing is very robust and mature, testing methods have gotten way better in the industry in modern times, but but there's not deep analysis and directly related to that, think of our old methodologies uh, from a UCD standpoint, is the notion, for example, of high-level design, which yeah. I would I would liken to um, architecture. It's it's analogous to architecture from a software standpoint. Again, there's not a place for that in those methods in the modern methods, and nobody's doing it. Um, directly related to that, you've got ideas like object-oriented interface design, which to me was the secret sauce of good conceptual design. Yep. That that method's gotten lost. Well, not totally lost. I'm still working with it. I'm still teaching it. You know, uh, it's, (laughs) well, it's just so interesting because, uh, I mean, this came up for me today, uh, actually came up today working with a client and, uh, you know, I'm doing this special work with the client, you know, and all my years of expertise and, you know, what are what have they, they, and they have this aha moment where they realize, oh my gosh, we're missing this, you know, and what's yeah. the this? It's exactly what you're talking about. It's like the, and I remember thinking, this is great that the big insight and the big way I can help them today is to talk to them about why they need to be doing task analysis and, and right. object-oriented conceptual model design, you know, it's like, uh, okay, yeah, it's, it's kind of like your Harry Potter thing, right? This is the, the, the magic we don't want to forget about. But, you know, it, just because it's been around for a long time doesn't mean it's not relevant, right? These are, you know, these are... No, but, but, but I think people, you know, everybody likes the shiny object. Everybody likes the new thing. You're right. right. And these things are not particularly exciting. And sometimes... I mean, if you talk, I think the object-oriented, you know, analysis is is complicated and and special. You know, task analysis is like not not shiny, you know. Uh, right. But, but it's so I understand what you're saying. But it's it's critical. It's like, hey, we know how to do this. You know, this this work, this UX work, this or at least you know, let's just talk about the analysis piece. That you yeah. mentioned, it's been going on for decades. We know how to do it. You know, I'm sure you could come up with improvements, but let's let's just make sure we do it. Well, and another thing we should do is stop using new words for things, <laughs> right? Like, you know, you mentioned you mentioned books, like you know, the book on mental models, which is not mental models; it's a different thing, right? <laughs> Indy and, and I had that had that argument a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, it's a wonderful book. It's a. It's it is. A lot of it is. But I don't, and I told book. her. I said uh, that's by Indy Young, and, and a very popular book. And I said, Indy, you know, one day we're going to have to really argue about the term because that's. I, I, it's a great book, but that's not what I would call it. But yes. Right. Right. Exactly. But but you know, so for example, task analysis, which is another yeah. critical thing that <laughs> has all but gotten lost. There's more yeah. of that than there is the OO stuff. But yeah, um, you know, it. I mean, at a higher level, you hear in systems engineering, 
workflow analysis, right? Yes. And you go yeah. all the way back to old time and motion studies, yeah. right? There's a rich history in human factors of that stuff. And then now everybody wants to do journey maps. Well, yes. you know, like, okay, so all of this stuff at a level of abstraction is really exactly the same thing. And it's, you keep changing the language and it's not going to be sticky. Frankly, it's the same way that in the industry, we feel some need to change the label for what we do every decade or so. Yeah. You know, I don't think that helps. Yeah, I'm with you. But you know what? These are words of people who are old and decrepit. <laughs> to complain uh, about how no one remembers the good old days and get off my lawn right <laughs> so i apologize to those of you listening who are rolling your eyes and saying oh man but these guys stopped talking about the 1990s but um dean so much fun to have you on our podcast thank you oh, so much pleasure. for coming my and pleasure. uh i am very very much looking forward to seeing you again in person. I know it will happen. I have faith that we will be together uh, once again in person. And I look forward to that very much. Me too. It's always a pleasure. I love you to death. Guthrie, thank you for setting this up. Yeah. And uh, happy to talk anytime. Wonderful. All right. Thanks, Thanks all. Bye.